Good morning, everyone. You've been given my name, so not much more to add except to say thank you to all those of you who've welcomed me here over the last four years since uh, the death of my wife, Joan, whom many of you knew well. Uh, this is an unusual passage, although David disagrees with me. I mentioned that to him beforehand, so we'll see how he expounds it later on. Um, page 977, uh, verse 25. I have to be careful here because the lectern's at the wrong height for a tall person like me and my glasses steam up. So if I lose my way, forgive me. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. That's the bit I like. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I meant to say, if you are a man here and you haven't been to our men's breakfasts, come on Saturday. It's a breakfast prepared by men, served by men, washed up by men, and eaten by men. And all I can do is commend it to you. Uh, to us. Um, normally, and the words were on the screen there just uh, a moment ago, I think it's good for us to respond, to remember that what David has read is not just something that somebody has uh, made up. It's something special. It's something alive. It's God's word. So let's say together, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, let's pray. Our Father, we do thank you that this is the word of the Lord. We thank you that you have caused it to be written, written down so that we may learn more about you. And so in the next while, pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate your word and bring it into our hearts and cause us to respond to this message. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Great Invitation. Have you ever received a card in the post and you open it up and it says, you are invited. Three words, or if they're abbreviated there, two words that can usually bring great joy. Somebody wants you to come to something. If they're on a nice card, if there's a picture of a cake, um, you're likely to be full of joy. Maybe you're off to a wedding. Though sometimes if you don't particularly want to go or if you're worried about how much your outfit is going to cost or how much the present is going to cost, uh, maybe your reaction might be slightly different. 
But one thing, if you get a card like that, one thing you have to do is reply. You uh, may think about it, you may turn it over in your mind, you may talk about it with uh, others in your family, but at some point you're going to have to reply. Are you going to accept this invitation? Well, the great invitation that we're looking at this morning from Jesus also requires a reply. But let's take a close look now at the passage that David read to us. If you want to follow, it's on page 977 of uh, the Bibles in your pews. Well, not in your pews, but in your chairs. Okay, the first, first thing, really, with any passage from God's Word that we need to consider is the background. What's going on here? And in verse 25, the Lord Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. So, what exactly does that mean? What does Jesus mean when he's talking about these things? What about them being hidden? And what about them being revealed? Well, these things are the truths about God and how he wants all people to be in relationship with him. The wise and learned and we need to be careful here, are those who think they are wise and learned. Those who think that they know more about God and religion, philosophy, than to listen to Jesus, who was seen by those listening to him and many uh, of those who thought they were wise and learned at that time in Israel as a simple, uneducated carpenter from a remote region of forgotten corner of Israel. And little children, Jesus often spoke about coming to him as a little child. Little children are those who trust in Jesus in the same way as a child trusts in their parent. Child trusts, obeys, doesn't worry about their outcome because they trust their parent completely. And it's as little children that so often Jesus calls, calls us to come. Just going back to the wise and learned, it doesn't mean, and I want to be clear about this, it doesn't mean that God or Jesus despises learning or education or questioning or seeking the truth. After all, he created us with an inquiring mind. If God didn't care about the wise and learned, where would that leave the Apostle Paul, who was so well educated? Or Luke, a doctor, who wrote one of our Gospels? No, it means that all, including the educated, need to submit as little children to the lordship of the Lord Jesus. Now before we move on to the great invitation, let's think for a minute about who is doing the inviting. 
This invitation is not a scam. I don't know if you've ever received an email uh, and says, click on this link and you get a million euro. Wonder has anyone clicked on those links? I don't think it works like that really. My great danger might be if you had a million you might lose it if you clicked on that link. We know it's a scam and we don't treat it seriously. Let's have a look at the next slide. This is the one doing the inviting. All things have been committed to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and those to whom the son chooses to reveal him. I think we could be here for hours if we tried to tease out the full meaning of that amazing claim. We are at this stage probably, many of us, too familiar with those words to really grasp the impact that they must have caused to those listening to the Lord Jesus. Because Jesus was claiming to be the only person who knows God and the only one who could reveal God to people. Now those who were Jews who were listening to Jesus, they would have been well used to the system of sacrifices for sin and to doing what the priests told them to do. Because the priests in the Jewish system were their representatives in offering sacrifices to God. So suddenly Jesus here was saying that he, only he, knew God the Father. It's an amazing claim. It's a staggering claim. It's an exclusive claim. Reminds me of another time when, um, you may remember this, recorded in John's Gospel, when Jesus was with his disciples and he was teaching them not to worry but to trust him for the future, that he was going to prepare a place for them. And then Thomas asked him, the next slide, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. One Bible commentator that um, I consulted in my study for this said, this is the claim. It is what makes Christianity so widely attractive and also so widely hated. It's so exclusive. And that leads to persecution. Jesus, who made this claim, was taken and crucified on a cross. His disciples face persecution and his disciples today in different countries around our world face persecution as well. However, if the claim is exclusive, the invitation is inclusive. 
There's no qualifications needed to become a Christian. You don't have to pass an entrance exam. You don't have to earn credits with your good works. You don't have to belong to a certain church. The invitation is for everyone. Very often summed up in this uh, sentence, there are many ways to Jesus, but Jesus is the only way to God. So to the invitation, there are four parts. The first part is come, very simply come. I wondered what picture I might choose to uh, illustrate that, and uh, I think probably uh, all of us probably might have picked different pictures about what can illustrate the idea of coming. But a winding road, uh, I think, is not a bad analogy for many people's lives. I know, I think, my life could be described as a winding road. And many of us go through many twists and turns in our lives. So that's why I picked a winding road. But the invitation is so simple. Come. No matter if your life has been a very winding road, come. Come, all you who are weary and unburdened, and I will give you rest. Now, the first thing really just to clarify is, does Jesus mean physical rest, or does he mean spiritual rest? Well, I think it's clear that he means spiritual rest, because in the very next verse, he talks about rest for your souls. What does it mean to be wearied and burdened? Um, we often uh, can think of that in physical terms. Many of us at different stages would feel tired and weary and overcome. But I think Jesus here was talking about the search for truth. The search for truth is something that everybody, I think, goes through at different levels, at different times in their lives or all through their life. Uh, the Greeks, Greek scholars of the time of Jesus, they were exhausted by their search for truth. We think of one of the most popular songs of um, Bono from U2. I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And uh, those of you who maybe have read his uh, recent book, um, there's a fascinating chapter in that book about that song and about his lifelong search for God and for Jesus. But many people do feel like that. It's said that Mahatma, when Mahatma Gandhi was dying, one of his relatives asked him, you've been looking for God all your life, have you found him yet? And Gandhi replied, no, I'm still looking. Jews, who were the main people listening to Jesus at this time, found religion a great burden. The Jewish leaders, through generations, and particularly in the time of Jesus, were continually adding restrictions to the daily lives of ordinary Jewish people. So they found religion just a huge burden. 
What about us? What about you? Are you weary and burdened with searching for meaning or truth? Do you wonder what life is all about? Do you have a purpose in your life? Or are you just drifting? Just doing your best to survive day by day. This invitation from Jesus promises an end to searching and striving. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. The second part of the invitation summarized by the word take. And it seems a strange invitation to us. Take my yoke upon you, says Jesus. It does seem strange that, first of all, Jesus says, come to me if you're burdened. And then the very next breath, he says, take my yoke upon you. Now, those listening to Jesus would have known what a yoke was. Uh, but maybe we need to be reminded uh, here. And particularly as Irish people, I think we need to be reminded what a yoke is. Because from many of my uh, years of my life, I would uh, often say, what's that yoke? Maybe uh, you might have said that or heard somebody like me saying that. It's a very convenient word in Ireland to describe anything, really. Well, for Jesus listeners, a yoke was the wooden collar, as you can see in the picture there, that ran across the shoulders of a pair of oxen and enabled them to work together to pull enormous weights. Jesus, as a carpenter, probably made many yokes. And as one of the commentators says, in effect, Jesus is saying, my yokes fit well. They do not rub your neck and shoulders. Get yoked up to me and you will find deep peace and satisfaction. It's a yoke of love, not duty. Those who follow Jesus serve him out of love. It's as if Jesus is saying, walk with me. We'll be together all the way. Take my yoke upon you. The third part of the invitation I've summarized as learn. Learn from me, Jesus says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. How do we live as a follower of Jesus if we are a follower of Jesus? That's very simple. We look to Jesus as an example and we listen to what his words say. We read the Bible to remind ourselves about God's ways, about how Jesus lived, about what he taught. Jesus is not a hard taskmaster. Unlike the cruel Romans or the Jewish high priests that Jesus' listeners would have been familiar with, Jesus says, I am gentle and humble in heart. What a wonderful God we have. What a wonderful Savior we have. What a wonderful invitation to walk with him, yoked together with him all the days of our lives. And the fourth and final part of the invitation is, is really more of a promise. Find. 
you will find rest for your souls. Again, if we cast around uh, looking for suggestions of what would illustrate rest, uh, I don't know, you could have put a bed up there maybe, but I just decided, uh, maybe thinking in the physical terms, a glass of water when one has uh, been out in the heat or one has been exercising or whatever, there's nothing like it. You will find rest. That re illustrates rest for your throat, for your body. But Jesus promises you will find rest for your souls. And really that's the ultimate goal. Spiritual rest. We see it all through the Bible. If you go back to the beginning, back in Genesis, God created the world. And then what did God do? He rested. And he rested in many ways and is as an example to, uh, to us so that we would also know that rest is important. The Israelites, when they wandered in the wilderness, they were promised rest in the promised land after their, all their journeyings. Even in many ways you could say that Jesus himself found rest on the cross. When he cried, it is finished. His last words before he died. By finished he meant he had completed all that he'd come to do by dying on the cross as our substitute to pay the penalty for our sins. So rest for your souls. That word is full of meaning. There's elements of peace in that. Forgiveness. Acceptance. An end to striving to make ourselves good enough for God, which we can never do. Freedom from the penalty of sin. So that's the great invitation. Indeed, it's probably the greatest invitation of all. Jesus knows that we are wearied and burdened and he offers us his easy yoke. He encourages us to learn from him all our lives and promises us rest for our souls. So the invitation has been given. I've sought to explain the invitation. So now comes the question, what is your reply? How are you going to reply to this invitation from Jesus? Unlike uh, a wedding invitation or a party invitation that might have RSVP by a particular date, there's no particular date stated on this invitation. You can come at any time, but you must come. All you have to do is come. What stops us coming? Again, there are many different things that stop people from coming to Jesus. One of them is that sometimes people have the mistaken idea that they're not good enough, that they need to clean up their lives before they can come and approach Jesus. That gives a complete misunderstanding of the wonderful invitation. It's for everyone, regardless of their situation, 
They're invited to come once they hear the call of Jesus. Our opening song said, Come just as you are to worship. And that's the call to each of us. So if you're thinking today, I'm not good enough to come to God. Well, you're right. None of us are. We're all sinners. But Jesus wants us to come to him. Sometimes it sounds too easy. Some people think, no, I, I, I want to do something for this. I, I can't just uh, accept this. And that's part of our pride. That's all it is. There's a part of our nature that always wants to contribute something, to contribute from our own abilities, from our own resources. But we need to understand and we need to accept that we can't contribute to our salvation because we are sinful people. We need really to accept that we are the problem. But in accepting that, we need also to come to Jesus and just say yes to him. And so, many places in the Bible, when an invitation is given, a response is suggested that today is the day you should come. There's no better day. You're hearing the invitation. So come to Jesus today is the call from this pulpit this morning. Whether it's for the first time, whether you're not sure if you've ever really come to Jesus, whether maybe you feel you need to come back to Jesus, whatever it is, come. If you're not really sure if you've ever come to Jesus, I'd hate you to go away from Crinkin this morning with that question in your mind. Do come and talk to me or somebody else uh, here this morning. After the service, every Sunday, there's a prayer ministry team that meet just behind me there. And they'd be one uh, group of people that you could come to. Uh, and they'd be so happy to talk and to pray with you this morning. If you have come to Jesus, I hope that your heart has been warmed this morning by the reminder of his grace, his love, his mercy, his gentleness, his humility, his easy yoke, and his light burden. Because sometimes, as life goes on, and struggles come along, we can forget. This is all true this morning, no matter what your situation. The disciples of Jesus, who were listening to him here, they went through times of great trial and persecution. Eleven of the twelve apostles were martyred for their faith. But that didn't take away from this truth because they came to Jesus and he gave them rest for their souls. He will hold me fast, we sang just before the sermon. And Jesus held them fast through every trial of life. We're going to sing just now our closing hymn 
And you know, if the disciples were here today, they would join us. Because the song we're going to be singing is an old hymn with a chorus.